We're in the middle of a series. I, I'm, I'm being blessed by this series that we're going through. I hope you're being blessed by it. I'm being encouraged. I'm learning. I'm growing deeper in my faith. And, and God is truly opening my eyes and my ears and my heart and my mind to more of who He is and who He says I am. Uh, we're talking about 2020 vision. This is the year 2020. It is a year. It is a year. Uh, it's a year like I've never seen in my 53 years. Miss Barbara, I bet it's a year you've not seen in your length of years. Well, I'm not saying a word, but 2020 is a doozy. It really is. And uh, we're talking about refocusing our lives, refocusing our lives. How many would agree with a good hearty amen that with everything taking place around the world today in 2020, the church needs to refocus. Yeah. Amen. I believe we need to refocus. I think we need to laser focus. Listen, not on the world. Not on the world. Not on the world. But on the Lord. On the Lord. How many believes this morning that God is on the throne? How many believes that God is in control? Let Him handle it. Let Him handle it. I think He's doing a superior job of managing all of creation. He said, Brother Steve, it's crazy down here on earth. I know that. It has been since the beginning of time. From the time Adam and Eve disobeyed God and plunged into sin and, and their souls died, this world has been in total chaos. All of cosmos has been in total chaos for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. I know what we're going through in 2020 is new to us, but it's not new to humanity. God is a good God. As they sang a moment ago, He's a good, good Father. And he's got all things under control at all times. And let's trust him. Let's trust him. Let's walk by faith. I think it's a fascinating series. I really do. I think it's a fascinating series. 2020 vision, refocusing my life. We started out the series talking about the power. Say power. Talking about the power of what we think and how that what we think changes our mind and our heart attitudes. And as our mind and heart attitudes change, then our actions follow. Our day-to-day -day actions follow our mind attitudes and our heart attitudes. So when we refocus, we change the way we think. When we change the way we think, we change our attitude. When we change our attitudes, we change the way that we live life. And then we talked about having the mind of Christ. Now, the Bible says that if you're born again and saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, you have the mind of Christ. The question is, are you using it? How can we have more of the mind of Christ? By burying our noses in the Word of God. By reading it, by studying it, by applying it, that is how we uh, develop that mind of Christ and we change our minds and we change our lives. 
Last week in part three, we talked about uh, refocusing our view of ourselves, refocusing our views of ourselves. We talked about how that thinking differently about ourselves based on what God says about us, not what your neighbor says about you, not what your wife or your husband or your kids or your co-workers or, or some disenfranchised friend says about you. Who does God say you are? What has God declared in his word about you? That's who you are. And we need to refocus our view of ourselves based on what God says, not what the world says. Based on what God says, not what other people say. It's all based upon the Word of God. We talked about how that when we begin to focus on what God says about us, it changes our entire life. Changes our entire life. It radically changes our entire life. And throughout the whole series, throughout the whole series thus far, our focus has been on a certain word. Been on a certain word. It's been focusing upon redefining this word back to its original meaning, its biblical meaning. Does anybody in the room remember the word we've been talking about? That's what I thought. God bless you, my child. Repent. Repent. We've been talking about repent. In today's culture, the word repent has been labeled as a hateful word, a judgmental word. That's because the culture has taken a biblical word and redefined it the way they want to see it, the way they want to hear it, the way they want to define it. But I don't know about you, but I want to stand upon the Word of God. And the word repent in the Bible is a very, very, very positive word, a very positive word. This week, we're going to look at how we can refocus our view of God. In order to refocus our, our, our life as a whole, we have to have the mind of Christ. We have to know the power of the Word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the mind of Christ operating in us and through us. I love the writings of A.W. Tozer. Anybody familiar with A.W. Tozer? I, I love to post some of his quotes every once in a while. They just really bless my heart. And it was Tozer who famously said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let that soak in for just a minute. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I believe that's true, don't you? It's true because who God is determines so much about our entire life. It determines how I look at my problems. It determines how I look at my relationships. It determines on how I view my future. That is what I think about God. When you think about who God is, it determines how you live day-to-day -day life. I want us to begin by admitting the obvious. If you, if you will, take out your listening guides this morning. Take out your listening guides. If you didn't get one of these when you came in, 
you'll hold your hand up, we'll get one to you. Everybody take out your listening guides and let's begin following along. Notice there in your listening guide, the very first verse that's listed there is Psalm 145 in verse 3. I want us to say those first four words together on the count of three. One, two, three. Great is the Lord. Do you agree with that this morning? Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. Now catch this. No one, say no one. No one can measure his greatness. Do you think God is a great God? How great is he? It's immeasurable. You you can't say fabulous. You can't say awesome. There's not a word long enough. There's not a word deep enough. There's not a word tall enough. There's not a word intelligent enough. You cannot measure the greatness of Almighty God. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure His greatness. I thought that'd be a great place to start this message refocusing our view on God. No one can measure the greatness of God, nobody. To paraphrase Augustine, if you can figure it out, it's not God. Think about that for just a minute. If you can figure it out in your mind, it's not God. That's how great God is. Our finite human minds cannot, cannot conceive, cannot figure out the greatness of God. Why? Because He's God and we're not. Now, we're created in His image. We resemble Him, but we're not God. We're not God. And so to think, to think that I'm going to be able to stand here today in this message and fully convince you and fully deliver to you enough information to cause you to realize the greatness of God, that would be ridiculous. I mean, every message I've ever preached in all of my life, all the messages I'll ever preach as long as God gives me breath, I'll never be able to convey the greatness of Almighty God. I can't do it. I can't do it. So instead, what are we going to do today? Today, what I want to do is just focus on passing along some amazing things that God has said about himself in his word. The only way I can describe to you who God is is by telling you what God says about himself. One of the things we've all got to come to grips with is how do we, how do we adequately develop a biblical view of God? Question. Now, be honest about this in your own mind, in your own heart. Be honest about this question. Where does your view of God come from? Where does your view of God come from? Sadly, And most of us would have to admit this, if not all the time, from time to time, whether past or present, our view of God tends to come from our circumstances. If our circumstances are good, guess what? God's a good God, right? 
Oh, God's good. Why? Because my circumstances are good. But what about when your circumstances are bad? See, if we base our view of God on our circumstances, if we're in bad circumstances, then there must be a bad God. But when you begin to reason out that faulty line of thinking, and it's faulty, say amen. That's a very faulty line of thinking. When you begin to reason out that faulty line of thinking, you quickly realize that it's extremely limiting. It's extremely limiting to your base, to base your view of God on just your circumstances. You say, why is that? I don't know about you, but my circumstances are forever changing. What about you? My circumstances are forever changing. And besides that, you're one of over 8 billion people on planet Earth. Do you think everybody on planet Earth has good circumstances today? Do you think everybody on planet Earth today has bad circumstances? So we can't base our view of God simply on our circumstances, can we? Think about the thousands and thousands of years of circumstances. The truth about all of our circumstances is this. We don't know how our current circumstance is going to turn out, do we? So it's foolish, it's foolish to base our view of God on our circumstances. But can I give you some good news this morning? Y'all, some good news this morning. We don't have to guess about God. We don't have to guess about God, who He is. We don't have to, it's none of that is guesswork. Why? Because God wrote us a love letter. God wrote an autobiography about who He is and how much He loves us and all that He has done for us, all that He is doing for us, and all that He is forever going to to do for us. That's why he's given us his word, the Bible. How many of those you can bank on the word of God this morning? Amen. Amen. God says, I want to reveal to you who I am. I want to who I am and how I want to work in your life and how I want to work through your life to change the entire world. The late Robbie Zacharias said this, the implication in our disenchantment with Christianity is that God is not who we thought He was or who we thought He might be. Wow. Wow. See, if every person on planet Earth who names the name of Christ as Lord and Savior truly understood who God is. Can you imagine what a different world we would be living in today? If every person that associates themselves with hope in Christ fellowship truly knew who God was and the worth of God and the worth of a relationship with God, we couldn't build a building big enough to house the folks. 
if we had a biblical view of who God is. So based on what God has shown us in His Word, this morning we're going to look at six ways that we can refocus our view of God. Six ways to change your life by refocusing your view of God. Now, for some of us, for some of us, this is going to be a message of assurance. For some, this is going to be a message of assurance. What we're going to look at are are things that you've known for a long, long time, but you need to be reminded of it. I need to be reminded of it. We need to be reminded weekly because our view of God is how we live life every day. It really is. Whether you're conscious of that fact or not, how you view God determines how you live every single day of your life. For others, this message uh, is a message that you just really don't want to hear right now. You you just don't want to hear a message about God. Why? Because you're mad at God. You're disappointed in God. The truth is, you don't have time for God right now. You're kind of tired of God in this season of your life. So my prayer for you is that somewhere, somewhere in this message this morning, you'll find something that reminds you of God's unconditional love for you. That you'll find, you'll hear, you'll see, you'll grab a hold of something that absolutely reminds your heart of God's unconditional love for you and the purpose and the calling that he has on your life. But ultimately, but ultimately, we all know that these are issues that we have to work out as individuals between us and God. Amen? As I've already said, when you begin to change your focus about who God is, it begins to change the whole direction of your life. So let's look at six ways to change and improve your life by refocusing your view about God. To begin with, to begin with, I have to accept His unconditional love. If we're going to have a correct view of God, we've we've got to start with the main thing. And the main thing of focusing, refocusing our view of God is we must accept God's unconditional love. What does the Bible teach you about God? The Bible teaches us that God is... How'd you know that? The Bible. Amen. We're on the right track this morning. This may go well. And that means that if you're going to refocus your view of God, you have to begin by accepting God's unconditional love. Why? Because God is love. Because God is love. Unconditional love, what does that really mean? No matter what. Well, first it means if God's love is unconditional, I believe it is. Can I get an amen? If God's love is unconditional, then it means that you or I or no one else can do anything to earn it. 
It's unconditional. It's unconditional. If it's not conditioned on anything you can do, then God's unconditional love is a gift. It's a gift, isn't it? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for it is by God's grace that you have been saved by faith. Listen closely. It is not the result of your own efforts, but what's the next two words? God's gift. God's gift. So that no one can boast about it. Now then, I have to earn a living. You have to earn a living, but you can't earn God's love. You can't earn hope. You can't earn grace or mercy. You can't earn assurance. You can't earn forgiveness. You can't earn faith. Why? All those things are in the package of what the Bible teaches us is God's unconditional love. These are all gifts from God. They're gifts that God wants to give you. He says, I want to give you the gift of my peace, my grace, my assurance, my love. And once you accept this, what happens? It totally transforms your life. Totally transforms your life. There'll be a peace that will flood into your life that you've never known before because all of a sudden, you're not trying to earn something. You're simply receiving what God is giving. If we could just know that at the very core of our being and just rest in that, just rest in that. God loves me. God has forgiven me. God has made me his son. God has made me his daughter. God is preparing an eternal home for me in glory. And I'm going to occupy that one day. And between then and now, I'm going to rest and bask and live life in the peace and the unconditional love of Almighty God. Will that change the way you live? We've got to refocus our view of God. You finally realize that it's a gift that God is giving you and he's more than willing to give it to you. Will you receive it? Will you receive it? It's the kind of peace that we read about in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, look at this, we have what? Peace with God. How many born-again believers we have here this morning? Are you saved by faith? Then this is written to you. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have, not we're going to get, not one day after a while. The Bible says right here, right now, we have peace with God. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us and gave us as a gift. Peace with God. Peace with God. Sadly, some, sometimes we lose sight. Sometimes we become separated. Sometimes we become 
distance from this peace because we stop treating it like a gift. What the Bible talks about falling from grace. Some people think when the Bible talks about falling from grace, it's talking about losing your salvation. We'll address that here in just a minute. But since that's an impossibility, when he talks about falling from grace, what he's saying is in your mind, in your mind, you forget that salvation and grace and mercy and faith and forgiveness and all of salvation is a gift of grace. So when you fall from grace, you forget that it's a grace gift, so you start working as hard as you can work to earn what God has already given you. And the Bible says that's foolish. The Bible says that's foolish. We start to feel like, God, you're so good to me, and God, you pour so much grace into my life. You pour so much mercy into my life. You pour so much forgiveness into my life. You pour so much peace into my life. God, what can I do to pay you back? And the answer is nothing. Just, just, just be my child. Just be my child. Did you know that there is an entire book It's right here. There's an entire book in the New Testament that addresses everything I'm telling you about right now. It's called the book of Galatians. It's called the book of Galatians. Paul wrote to the Christians in Galatia, and in paraphrasing, here's what he said. You've received God's gift but now you're trying to earn it. You've already received the gift, and it's a gift that cannot be earned, and you have it, you've possessed it, I've given it to you. But now you're trying to earn it. Ain't that getting the cart in front of the horse? As a matter of fact, in the opening verses of chapter 3, Paul says, oh, foolish Galatians. This is from the King James Version. I I love this translation. Oh, foolish Galatians. Listen, who hath bewitched you? Now, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I readily admit that. But if you take that word bewitched, and you take the B off the front and the Ed off the back, it leaves you with a witch. Witches ain't good. In other words, who has cast a magic spell on you? Who is leading you astray from the truth? He's saying it's witchcraft. To discount God's Word is witchcraft. Can I get an amen? When we don't belong right, when we don't believe right, when we don't believe right, that's witchcraft. That's what Paul says. Who has bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? 
Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? No. No. Paul teaches us that it's pure foolishness to think that we can somehow earn what's impossible to earn. It has to be recognized as a gift. Again, unconditional love. Say that, unconditional love. Unconditional means you can't do anything to earn it, but unconditional love also means you can't do anything to lose it. It's unconditional. Just for the fun of it, say unconditional again. So the second half of that word is conditional. Now, if salvation is conditional, then you can earn it and you can lose it. But when you slide an un in front of that, guess what happens? It's out of your control. You can't do anything with it, about it, to get it, to lose it, to keep it. Why? It's unconditional. And God's unconditional love is what brought you unconditional salvation. See, we were dead in our trespasses and sins from conception forward. Human beings do not possess the ability to believe in God on their own. They don't have the ability to have faith in God on their own. They don't have the ability to repent on their own. The doctrine of regeneration, we'll study that sometime. From 1966 to 1976, I was a walking dead man, dead in my trespasses and sins. And what can a dead man do? But at Bible school in the summer of 1966, God's Holy Spirit come along and found me based on God's unconditional love. God's Holy Spirit come and found me and regenerated me brought the spirit man on the inside of me back to life. And because of the word that I had been preached for 10 years, when God regenerated me and the Holy Spirit and the word of God penetrated that dead heart that was now become alive, guess what happened? God activated faith inside of me. Faith was a grace gift from God. Regeneration was a faith gift from God. God does the work of salvation. And what God does, God doesn't undo. And I receive salvation as an unconditional grace gift of God. Therefore, I didn't do anything to get it. Therefore, I can't do anything to lose it, to forfeit it. Wow. Here's the bottom line. If you earned it, You could lose it. But since God gave it to you, he says he's never going to take it away. Hebrews 13, 15. For God has said, wait a time out. Who said? Wait, I I couldn't hear you. Who said? God said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Where do people who do not have a relationship with God, where do they spend eternity? In hell. Is God going to hell? 
Okay. That settles a whole lot right there, doesn't it? He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never fail you. I'll never abandon you. So for a child of God to ever go to hell, God would have to go with you. Am I right? Let's move on. Let's move on. Here's the problem. Let's stay here for just a minute. Here's the problem. God's never and our never is different. Huh? When we say never, and I believe we mean it when we say it, but because of our imperfection, because of our fallibility, we're not able to accomplish our nevers the way God accomplishes his nevers. Every year on January the 1st, we say, I'm never going to fill in the blank again. It's May the 31st. How you doing with those nevers? See, our nevers and God's nevers are two different words, aren't they? God is all-powerful. God is eternal. And when an all-powerful, eternal God says never, you better believe God is going to accomplish his never. And so when God says, I will never fail you, I will never abandon you, you can't lose God's love. That ought to change your life. That ought to change the way you live life. That should not loosen the way you love God and loosen the way you live for God. That should tighten it to the, to, to the deepest of the depths of every depth that's ever been. That, that ought to cause you to love God so much that as you refocus on Him, He is the primary goal of all of your life because God loves you so much. God loves you so much. Some people really struggle with this more than others do. Some people have convinced themselves, well, I, I, I hear what you're saying, preacher, but listen, God, God could never love me. God, God could never love me. Maybe it's something you did. Maybe it's something you're doing. Maybe it's something you've said. You've, you've just convinced yourself that no matter what in this life, God is never going to love you. Here's what you need to know. God's love is not based on who you are. It's not based on where you came from. It's not based on what you've done. It's not based on what you're doing. God's love flows from God's throne, and it's unconditional. And if God says you're lovable, guess what? You're lovable. You're lovable. Brother Steve, I've just sinned so much in my life. God could never forgive me. Apostle Paul thought the same thing, didn't he? Apostle Paul called himself the sinner of all sinners. And he doubted God's love for him. But God says, I want to love you. 
And if God says, I want to love you, guess what you need to do? Be loved. Be loved. That's how you begin to refocus your view of God. You begin to live a changed life forever. Number two, number one, I must accept God's unconditional love. Number two, I must appreciate His holiness. God is a holy God. And we as believers have to appreciate His holiness. When we say that God is holy, we're saying that God is completely perfect. There's not a trace of imperfection in who God is, in God's character. He's perfect. There's nobody that compares to God's greatness or God's perfection. Look what 1 Samuel, look what 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2 says. No one is holy like the Lord. No one is holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Now, this holiness means that when God promises to do something, it's a done deal. That's God's holiness. That's God's holiness. We can always, always, always count on what God says that He will do. Do you believe that today? Psalm 33, 21, In Him our hearts rejoice. Why? For we trust in His holy name. Now, I know where a lot of people are right now. We entered into 2020. We've, we, we're right in the midst of an epidemic. And then just a, a horrible, horrible, horrible tragedy happens in Minnesota. A murder, a murder occurs. And now the entire country is in upheaval. And we look at an epidemic and we look at murder and we look at racism and we look at rights and, and we, we look at all the evil around us. And we can get so easily sidetracked and we can so easily lose focus. But if we're focusing on the world, we lose focus of God. Peter proved that when he was walking on water one day. Remember that? What kind of mindset? Can you imagine for a moment what was going through Peter's mind as he was walking on water? I bet he was at peace when he was walking on water. I, there was no doubt in his mind, this is Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God, the miracle-working Son of God. This is him. But it was in the moment when he lost focus that he sank. Folks, as Christians, we can walk on water. We can live in that peace. We can live in that tranquility, even if the whole world is collapsing and going to hell all around us. How? By focusing our minds upon Almighty God. In Him, our hearts Rejoice. But Steve, look around. No, look at God. Rejoice. Rejoice. For we trust in His holy name. If you're trusting in the White House, you're not going to have peace. If you're trusting in the left or the right side of the building, you're not going to enjoy peace. 
If you're trusting in the governor, you're not going to have peace. If you're trusting in the mayor, you're not, not going to have peace. If you're trusting in anything or anyone besides Almighty God who is enthroned in heaven, if you're rejoicing in him, if you're trusting in his holy name, you'll have peace. If you're looking or trusting in anything else, your life will fall apart and you'll live in misery. In him, our hearts rejoice all the time. Why? Because God is good all the time for we trust in his holy name. If for no other reason, that promise alone gives us reason to celebrate and appreciate the holiness of Almighty God. But there's a problem. There's always a problem, isn't there? The problem is that anything that is holy is separate from the unholy. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, we've got a problem, Houston. Perfect can't associate with the imperfect because the perfect is absence of impurity. Do you get that? Perfect can't associate with the imperfect because perfect is the absence of impurity. God is perfect and we are impure. And from where we stand, that can't change. Just imagine, boy, wasn't, wasn't yesterday a beautiful day? Just imagine, you was out in the yard working yesterday, and it's a little warm, and, and you're working, maybe you're gardening, maybe you're mowing, maybe you're weed eating, or maybe you're putting up a tent in the parking lot at the church building. Maybe you get hot. Your spouse comes out of the house with a tall glass of cold water. And your spouse says, hey, I, I, I see you're working hard and you're hot and thirsty. Here, here, I brought you some water. And you say, thank you, honey, I appreciate that. And your spouse, right before you drink it, your spouse says, but wait just a minute. You might want to know something. That water's got just a little tiny bit of bacteria-eating flesh in it. Just a little bit. Flesh-eating bacteria, I said that backwards. Do you drink it? It's just got a little. 99.99% of it is pure water. You ain't going to drink it? Why? Because it's impure. And you don't want any part of it, do you? It's poison. Isn't that what you said, Stacy? Listen, because of our sin, because of our sin, our impurities, we've been eternally separated from God. And in and of ourselves, there is no hope of ever being in a loving, forgiving, gracious relationship with Almighty God. But God has a solution. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. 
That's why Jesus died on the cross. Jesus took your sin. Jesus took my sin. Jesus took your impurity. Jesus took my impurity. And he wore that to the cross of Calvary. And when he died, he killed that sinfulness. And when he was resurrected on the third day, he come out of the grave victorious over sin, death, and hell. And because of what he did for us on Calvary, and because he was resurrected from the dead, then holy God can be reunited with humanity because the sins have been paid for. And God says, once you've been forgiven, once you've been forgiven, once you are my child, you have inherited my holiness. You've been filled with my holiness because you possess Jesus. Jesus that's in me is as holy as Jesus sitting on the throne in heaven, and now we have a relationship with God. And if we're going to refocus our view of God, we have to accept his unconditional love, and we must, we must realize God's holiness and the truth of it. It's because of his holiness that he loves me so much. And he demonstrated his love for me in what Christ did for me. In Isaiah 57, 15. We're taught here in this scripture that God's presence is not something that we just observe from far away. Not at all. He made a way for us to be purified. He made a way to cleanse us so that we can live forever in his presence here and now and for all of eternity. Isaiah 57, 15 says, I am the high and holy God who lives forever. He said, I live in a high and holy place. But how did he finish this up? I also live with people who are humble and what? Repentant. So that I can restore their confidence and restore their hope. When we appreciate God's holiness, we realize that God wants to be close to us. God wants to be close to you. He wants to build your confidence in who he says that you are. He wants to give you hope. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you eternal life. So instead of ignoring God's holiness, because you're sinful and you want to hide from God, realize that the grace gift that came to you was God's holiness, the imputed righteousness of Almighty God. God says you're holy. And if God says you're holy once you're redeemed, guess what? You're holy Receive his unconditional love. Acknowledge his holiness. Accept that God wants to be with you. God wants to be near you. The third way that we change our life by refocusing our view of God is this. We have to trust his judgment. Now, we, we see unconditional love, and we see holiness, and we see judgment and from a human perspective, when we hear holiness and we hear judgment, we cower back, don't we? And why should we cower back based on what God says about himself? If we've been saved and redeemed, then we don't cower back from the holiness of God. It draws us to him. 
And we don't run from the judgment of God because we'll never be judged for our sins. God judged our sins when Christ bore them on Calvary. We will give an account, but we will not be judged. Why? Because our sins have already been paid for through the death, burial, and resurrection of Almighty God, Jesus Christ Himself on the cross of Calvary. A lot of people have this all backwards. Most people get this wrong because they focus on God's judgment and God's wrath. But if we really want to understand God's judgment, we need to start with His wisdom. You start with God's wisdom. God is the pinnacle of wisdom. God is wisdom. If you want what wisdom is, go God. God is wisdom. God has created everything. God understands everything. He knows what everything was made for and how it works. God knows the best for every single situation, and God especially knows what's best for you, and God knows what's best for me. Got to trust His judgment. To trust God's judgment is realizing that God is the only one who can truly judge what is right and what is wrong. You understand that's the original sin. In the garden was a tree. The tree was called the knowledge of good and evil. Before sin entered the world, Adam and Eve was totally dependent upon God. And if God says that's good, it was good. If God said that was bad, that was bad. And they followed God's wisdom. But God gave them an option, didn't he? Don't go pointing fingers at Adam and Eve. You've ate that fruit a million times since you drew your first breath. You have determined thousands upon thousands upon thousands of times what you declare is good and what you declare is bad. If I'm telling you the truth, say amen. To trust God's judgment is realizing that God is the only one who can truly judge what is right and what is wrong. He's the one who understands what's helpful and what's healthy and what's not. He's the one who determines what's good or bad. In other words, God's judgment is always, always, always right. Romans 9.20, who in the world do you think you are to second-guess God? Do you for one moment suppose any of us knows enough to call God into question? Clay doesn't talk back to the fingers that molds it, saying, why did you shape me like this? Listen, whatever you're going through, God understands it. God understands it. And God already has the best solution ready for your asking. He wants you to run to Him and find His wisdom and find His hope. God's William is available to us every single day, but it goes far beyond those daily needs. God's wisdom is available for all of life. God's plan, God's ultimate plan is to protect His family. Do you believe that? God's ultimate plan is to protect His family forever and ever from evil and from pain. I like that plan. What about you? I like that plan. But in order to do that, in order to do that, one day soon, 
God is going to judge and destroy anything that doesn't meet His perfect standard. And that can be a terrifying thought, can it? We just talked about the fact that none of us meet His perfect standard, and we don't by ourselves, do we? But I want to be clear. God's objective is not to punish and to destroy. His goal is to save. It's what the Word of God teaches us. Look at John 3.17. Jesus having the dialogue with Nicodemus. Jesus says, God did not send His Son into the world to judge the world guilty. That wasn't His purpose. He said, but to save the world through Him. Jesus came to save the world, meaning that anyone willing to accept His forgiveness and follow Him and His plan is forever saved. And if we're saved, God says that you've been made part of His family. And if we're members of the family of God, we have no reason to fear His judgment. God has no plans to ever punish His children. However, say however, However, he does graciously, lovingly, kindly corrects and disciplines all of his children because he loves us so much. He corrects us for his benefit, but he, he, he corrects us for our benefit, and he corrects us for his glory. Hebrews 12, 17 explains this. Be patient. Say that with me. Be patient. When you're being corrected, this is how God treats His children. Don't all parents correct their children? No, but the ones that love their children do. You can raise spider monkeys if you want to. God says raise children. Correct them. Whenever we disobey God, we inadvertently invite danger into our lives. We invite pain into our lives. We invite problems into our lives when we disobey God. So if you're running from God's judgment, if you don't willingly accept what God says is right and wrong, then you clearly don't understand life from God's perspective and you're missing out on God's plan for your life. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Your path ends in death. God's path ends in life. By nature, we think we know what's right. But that's our way, and our way is the wrong way, and it leads to death. Proverbs 3, 6 says, Think about Him, that is, think about God in all your ways, and He will guide you in the right path. What did He say? Think about God. Think rightly about God. Refocus your view of God. God is not a warden to escape from. God is a loving father, father who we need to run to. We need to trust Him. So my question is, are you going to trust your own judgment or are you going to trust the judgment of God? Are you going to accept what God says is right and wrong or are you going to keep trying to figure it out on your own? I know personally, I want to live in the peace and the security of God's truth. And I want that for you too. And I want that for you too. Okay, number four. 
The fourth way to refocus your view on God is to understand His timing. We've got to understand God's timing. Right now in the United States of America, we have to understand God's timing. You're not going to change God's timing. I'm not going to change God's timing. But to have a correct view of God, we have to understand His timing, and God's Word teaches us about God's timing. And the truth of the matter is, there's a lot of horrible things that we go through that there's just nothing good about it that we can see. Now, I'm sure as we look around the room this morning, there's probably some of you that just barely got here this morning. You just barely got here this morning. You're struggling with one of the most difficult times of life that you've ever endured, that you've ever went through. And you're wondering, God, why are you allowing this to continue for so long? God, why haven't you put a stop to this yet? God, why ain't you giving me the things I know that I need so that all of this will come to an end and be over? God, why is this season taking so long? We've got to understand His timing. Listen closely, church. Listen closely. It's in these moments that it's the most difficult to understand God's timing because nothing seems right about it. Just can't find anything right about it. Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Now that's that's in your listening guide. But if you've got a pen, would you just write that down right above that verse? I mean, I want you to write it down. There's something about you writing it down. Wait for the Lord. Then put three dots after that. How long? Dot, dot, dot. Wait for the Lord. Trust His timing. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. How can you be strong when you're waiting, when you trust His timing? You can wait for the Lord and be strong while you're doing it. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You see that sandwich? Wait for the Lord, wait for the Lord. While we're waiting for the Lord, what do we do? We're strong. Why? Because God is in us, and God is with us, and God is in control. Let your heart take courage. Be courageous. Why? Because God loves you. God's in you. God's in control. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. In between, be strong, and let your heart take courage. God says, wait on me. Don't give up. God's timing is perfect. I promise. I promise. 
But I can also testify that it doesn't always feel that way because we don't see the whole picture because we're not sitting on the throne in heaven. We don't have God's perspective. At best, we have just a snippet of information is all we have. So don't give up. God always has the perfect perspective. God sees the big picture, and I promise you, God is working everything out for the best for you and his whole family. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow about keeping his promises. As some people think he is, you've got to change the way you think. In fact, God is patient because he wants everyone to turn from sin and no one to be lost. We think God is moving too slow. When things aren't happening the way I expect them to happen on my timetable. The problem is my timeline comes in seconds and minutes and hours and days and weeks and months, maybe sometimes even years. But God's perspective is eternity past to eternity future with no limits, with no limits. He holds everything in balance. Isaiah 55.8, it would do well to ingest this verse and chew on it every day. God says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Now, if it's beyond our imagination, listen, God has it all figured out. So know this. When we're waiting, while we're waiting, when we're frustrated from sitting in the waiting rooms of life, we have to understand that God's thoughts are different from ours. Life doesn't happen on our time. God's way of thinking is always better than mine and yours. We have to stop looking at God as the delivery man, and we have to see God as our deliverer. It ain't all about, God, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. It's God, I'm trusting, trusting, trusting. God, I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. God, I trust your timing, not mine. He's our hope. He is our Savior. He is our salvation. He's not the delivery man. He is our deliverer. Number five, we've got to respect his strength. We respect God's strength because God is strong. Say God is strong. Hope he's stronger than that. He's powerful. Say powerful. A little better. He is our place of safety and security. That's who God is. Respecting God's strength means that I depend on his help when I'm in trouble. I, I depend upon his help when I'm in need. I depend on his help when I think I'm great because he's greater. He's stronger. It means I stop relying on my own strength alone. We stop saying stupid stuff like, God, I've got this. Well, Steve, I'd never say that. Yeah, but you live like it. So in living like it, you're saying it, aren't you? God, God, I'll let you tell you what. I know you're busy. I'll let you know when I need you. In the meantime, let me live life the way I want to live it 
in my own timing and in my own strength. No more foolish words have ever been spoken in all of life. We start saying, God, I'm inviting your strength into my life, every point of my life, every moment of my life, because, God, I need your strength. Psalm 18.2 says, The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. He's my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. Here's what we do. We stand on that strength. We invite that strength into our life. That's what God's strength. It also means a second less obvious thing. Now buckle up. Respecting God's strength means I quit pretending that he's weak. Respecting God's strength means by the way I live, the way I conduct my life, I quit pretending that he's weak. I quit pretending that he's weak or I, or I, quit, uh, I quit noticing that I'm taking God for granted. I quit pretending that I can live any old way that I want to live and still love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But Steve, what are you trying to say? When we determine that we're going to live life the way we want to live life, we're pretending that God is weak. Romans 2, 4. Now, this comes from the message paraphrase. It is a paraphrase. Or did you think that because he's such a nice God, he'd let you off the hook? Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind, but he's not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. Now, now, that, that phrase, radical life change, comes from the word, Kathy, repent. Thank you, sister. God's loving kindness leads us to repentance. If you're waiting for God to bring out the lightning bolts before you change your life, you need to refocus your view of God. Because that's not how God works in the New Testament, is it? His loving kindness is what leads us to repentance. He's kindly, patiently, lovingly leading us toward life change. Now, the whole point of this is that we have to respect his strength. We have to respect his strength. It's the kind of strength you use with a three-year-old. Any parent could pull out the lightning bolt and crush a three-year-old. But that's not how we act as parents, is it? No, we lovingly, kindly encourage change because we hold our strength at bay. Now, God could and rightfully so, destroy every one of us in the blinking of an eye. 
He's that powerful. He's that strong. But we respect his strength. And we love him more because he so lovingly, kindly, patiently redirects our lives through the outpouring of his love. You know what else is kind? Electricity is kind. Remember last week I talked about the winter-long remodel that Michelle and I did in her bathroom? You think about electricity. Electricity gives us all of our luxurious devices that we enjoy so much. Electricity gives us air conditioning when it's hot, gives us heat when it's cold. Electricity is kind to us, isn't it? Except when you lose respect for it. That remodeling required me to replace some light switches and some electrical plugs. And I was tired and wore out. I was so sick of that remodeling job. And this was, this was the end of it. And I was like, you know, the breaker box is way over yonder. And I'm not going to holler at Michelle. I'll just be careful. Wearing a three-way plug. Light, bath, heat, all in one switch. I'll be, I'll be careful. Electricity reminded me of its power and its strength. You're laughing because you've probably been there yourself, haven't you? He snuck up and said, guess what, Steve? I'm here and I'm strong. Thankfully, I didn't have no hair to curl. God says, I want you to respect my strength. Even though I lead you in loving kindness and patience. Number six. Number six, refocusing our view of God. We've got to learn to enjoy His presence. We've got to learn to enjoy His presence. God wants you to enjoy being with Him. Does that sound strange? Not when you know the Word. And especially not when you know the God of the Word. God wants to be with you. And God wants you to be with Him. Psalm 1611, You have made known to me the path of life. Aren't you thankful for that today? God has shown you, God has shown me the path to everlasting life. His name is Jesus. And because he has given us and shown us the path of life, you will fill me with the joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. That's the kind of joy God wants to give us through his presence because God is close to us. And because God is so much greater than us, it's natural to think that God wants to keep his distance, but he killed his own son to be next to us. Let that sink in. God allowed his only son to die so he could live in our presence and we could live in his presence. Enjoy his presence. The psalmist said in chapter 16, verse 8, I know that the Lord is always 
with me. Whether you believe that or not, would you say that with me on the count of three? One, two, three. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. And is he right beside you? All the time. All the time. I'm reminded of Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, when he first encountered God's presence. You remember his reaction? He said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. When you think about the greatness, when you look at the greatness of God's love and all that he has to offer us, we'd all like to say, like the psalmist said, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Here's a question to refocus on, folks, this morning. What does your soul thirst for? What is your soul thirsting for? You remember in our study, 40 days of prayer, and in one of these past messages, we talked about this in Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Remember what that Abba part means? Daddy. Daddy. It's a, it's a child's word. See, I thought this through. When we started having grandkids, yeah, I called my grandparents grandpa and grandma. You've got to be pretty old and smart before you start spitting out words as long and complicated as grandma and papa. So when I become a grandpa, I chose the word Eight-year-old can say pa. Six-month-old can say pa if you say it long enough. If you take a kid in the bedroom and hold him on your lap for three hours and you say pa, 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 pa will come out, I promise you. It's easy to say. It's easy to process. But once that child learns pa, and more importantly, when they learn what's behind the name is this paw that loves them unconditional, would kill for them, would move heaven and earth to make sure they have a wonderful, wonderful life and, not, and will not withhold any good thing from them ever. Paw becomes a really, really, really important word. That's what the Bible teaches us here. We've not been given the spirit of fear. We've received the spirit of sonship. We're, we're God's children. So we have the right to say, Daddy, getting rough down here. Daddy, I'm having a difficult time. Daddy, such an intimate word, right? You don't go around calling everybody Daddy, do you? Abba is the most personal name for God that we can use. And God is saying, call me daddy. Call me daddy. That's the kind of relationship God wants to have with you. 
where you feel free and joyous to run into his arms because he's the one that meets our deepest needs. Now, here's where we're going to wind down with this. There's two things that I'm going to remind you of today. There's two things that we have to depend on if we're going to refocus our mind to comprehend anything different than what we already comprehend. And that's this. It's the power of the Word of God, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Darrell and I was in the hallway before service started, and we just talking. Pastor Darrell made the comment, how desperately we need the power of the Holy Spirit. When it comes to being a church, I mean, you, you, can, have, you can have great things and fine things. I mean, you, you can have a nice building. You can have plenty of property. You can have gifted musicians and singers, and, and you can have deacons who just have servants' heart that's been given to them from God. You can have pastors who preach the Word of God just as it's written. You can have all these things. But if you don't have the how you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't have anything. You hear me, church? Without the power of the Holy Spirit, you have nothing. You have nothing. So to enact change, we have to take the Word of God mixed with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is who gives us the understanding of the Word of God. A lot of people won't read Scripture because they say they can't understand it, and I understand that. Here's the cure. Here's the cure. Jesus tells us in Luke 24, 45, then Jesus opened their what? Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the Scripture. mind of Christ understands the Word of God. You have the mind of Christ if you're a believer. And here's what you need to pray every day. You need to claim those promises, those 10 promises we gave you and told you to take home and put on your refrigerator and your mirror. Read those aloud every day to yourself and to the Lord. Claim those promises. Take the Scripture that I've given you today. Take this listening guide home, put it right beside that other one, and study these scriptures every day. Refocus your mind on who God says He is and dive into the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Listen to the Word of God and claim this, this promise and pray it as a prayer. Jesus, would you open my mind so I can understand this scripture? That is a prayer that Jesus will answer every single time you pray it every single time you pray it. Why? Because God has given us His Spirit. Did you get that? If you're a believer, God has given you His Spirit. His Spirit is in you. His Word is in your hand. How can we not understand it? The Spirit wrote the book. You're sitting with the author. He'll explain it in great detail if you let him, if you want to. 
We've got to have the want to. That's why we don't think the same way as people of the world thinks. That's also why we can recognize the blessings that God has given us. So here's how we're going to finish this out today. Michelle, y'all get ready and come on. We're going to stop where we started. How's that? Psalm 145.3, let's say this together on three. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, say this. One, two, three. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. As they're coming, let's bow our heads. Close our eyes. Here in this room and there in your home or at your place of business or in your car, wherever you're hearing this message today, let's bow in prayer together. And let's, let's pray this together. Here's what I want us to do, folks. I want us to commit to the things that we've heard and learned today. Here's how I want you to pray this. Let's say this together. Father, I'm deciding today to trust the truth of what you tell me about yourself. I accept your unconditional love for me I appreciate your awesome holiness. I trust that your judgment is always right. I understand that your timing is always perfect. Father, I respect your powerful strength. And I want more and more to learn to enjoy your wonderful presence. Thank you, Father, for all that you've given me. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's stand together this morning. If you have the need to pray this morning, would you come pray? These altars over here, if you want someone to come and pray with you and along beside you, Hearing this song, would you just come and get on your face before God and begin to pray? If you want to pray and just be left alone, you just want to be between you and God, you can pray there.